things work. If you would, turn to Psalm 145. Daniel is not with us this week. He is on one of the many missions trips that we have going out to the nations. It's neat and exciting for us. Um, one quick note for Fellowship at the Farmhouse. Mike said this, but I just want to reiterate it. It says 7 p.m. on your weekly. That is wrong. It is at 6 p.m. If you come at 7, you'll have missed out on a lot of the, the fun that we have together at Fellowship at the Farmhouse. So come there at 6. Psalm 145. song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and my King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you. You are worthy of great praise. Father, help us to love you even as we delve in your word this morning, that we would love you more deeply and love each other, this family of your church more holy. Lord, make much of yourself this morning that you would go forth and, and be exalted. We ask this all because of Christ. Amen. Uh, this morning we're going to do something a little bit different than what we normally do here. Normally we go through a single passage or maybe a few passages. Uh, we're going to just cover a number of passages together, just looking at these things, hopefully saturating ourselves with God's thoughts on this topic uh, with that, though, I would encourage you, as you're taking notes, hopefully, write down the passage. You're, you're not going to get everything. Um, write down the passage, and, and as you go home this week, look it back over, study it, uh, see uh, what God is saying in these uh, verses of Scripture that we're going to be reading. 
my, my goal and desire for us this morning as we delve into this is that you and I would both leave here with a greater delight in God's church. That we would both love God's church and feel loved by God's church all the more, more than we could have ever thought possible. We're going to start, we're going to talk about God's intentions for his church and wanting us to expand our perspective of God's church, to think more big about the church. There are many titles that are given to God's church throughout Scripture. Some of the terms of the body, the body of Christ, are called the temple of God, being built up to honor and worship Him. We're called saints, though the holy ones reflect Christ and His holiness. We're called citizens of the kingdom, called members of the body. But one primary way that at least I don't feel like I've thought of as much and been really challenged with as I've been studying for this is that of family. We are family. And I want to take some time that we would look together here at these passages of Scripture, looking at what a number of people say uh, throughout time and history and Scripture, what a number of passages say, especially looking at familial terms, terms of family. What does God have to say for us? This isn't in your notes. We're going to talk about two major aspects of family. First, we're going to talk about being a part of God's family. Scripture uses a number of terms to refer to us as part of God's family. And it starts with the head of the family, the Father. God our Father. Jesus introduces this to us in Matthew 6, 9. The disciples come to him and say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he responds, uh, pray that in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. He, he says, it's not calling him Lord, Master Adonai. He, he says, call him Father. This familial term, this term of love, trust, and care. Paul takes this up in 1 Thessalonians 3.13. So that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. 1 Corinthians 8.6. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. So we've got this this picture of the family of God, God the Father, and then we move to us, the children of God. Paul in Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. The Apostle John talks in great detail about this in his gospel, chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. He says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He says there's this family aspect, and it's not biology here. It's not the choice of parents. It is God's sovereign choosing that he brings people, children, into his family. Us. Into his family. So God the Father, us his children. But how are we brought into the family? Scripture goes on. We are adopted 
We are adopted children. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You cry, Abba, Father, you are adopted into the family. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. You have been adopted into the family of God brought there for his glory. So we have God the Father, the head of our family, us, the children of God, adopted into the family we go on, that we are the household of God. Interestingly, the scripture uses the same word here. 1 Timothy 5, 4 and 14 is talking about widows and how widows are supposed to have overseen their household well. They're their nuclear family. They're supposed to care for their kids and their nuclear family well. And it says then that they should be cared for by their nuclear family, that their children are responsible to care for them before the church steps in and does so. And that same terminology about this nuclear family is what Paul uses here to talk about us in God's family. 1 Timothy 3.15 But if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to act in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Galatians 6.10, therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. In Ephesians 2.19, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. God the Father, we his children, adopted into his family, made into this household. In this last part, then, we're siblings. We're siblings. The, the term brothers or brethren is, is used in different translations, uh, but we oftentimes take this word really lightly. Some, some denominations, we call each other brother. Uh, in our pop culture, we call it, yo, bro. We say things like that. Uh, we, we take that term and make it very generalized. Uh, but I think it's worth thinking through the specifics of why the term brother comes up so often in Scripture or brethren. Luke, the author of Luke and Acts, wrote in Acts 18, 18, Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the, the brethren, the brothers, the, the siblings. 
and put out to sea for Syria. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 2.11 says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, brothers, siblings. It says Christ calls us his sibling. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, brothers, siblings, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the works of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 3.13, But as for you, brethren, brothers, siblings, do not grow weary in doing good. Romans 12.1, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, brothers, siblings, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service and worship. So we have this picture, God the Father, us the children, Adopted into the family, made into a household, and siblings in this household. That's the first picture we have of family. Scripture, though, gives us a second picture as well. We are family to one another in even more than just this way as siblings. Jesus, in Matthew 12, 46 through 50, is teaching... And says, while he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. So, so here, Mary and, Joseph, or, and, and Jesus' brothers come. Jesus is teaching. And they probably get somebody like, hey, can you go get him? I mean, he's, he's our family. Can you go tell him? You know, his, his parents are here. His mom's here. Can you go talk to him? So someone goes and said to him, verse 47, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands toward his disciples, he said, These, behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. In Mark 10, 28 through 30, Jesus has been talking with the rich man about how riches are dangerous at times to us entering the kingdom of heaven. And Peter responds this way. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. That's not biologically possible. You can't have more than one mom, more than one dad. So, so what is Jesus talking about here? And I think we have to come to the conclusion he's talking about the church. He, and he says, not just, he says, eternal life is to come in the future, but he says, in the present age. Father, mother, brother, sister, children. He says, in the context of the community of Christ, in our family, you have familial relations that you have fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and children abundant to you. As a part of this family. J. 
John, the apostle, in his third letter to the churches, says this. He's the one who previously said we are children of God. Now he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He says, we're children of God. He says, these are my children. He says, I, I have been the one to present the gospel to this church and in some way have become a father to this church. Paul has a ton that he says along these lines. He calls Onesimus the slave who ran away from Philemon and comes and meets him in Rome. He gets saved. He calls him his child. Timothy and Titus, who he has taken under his wing, led to the Lord and trained. He calls them his true children. Paul uses birth terminology in Galatians 4.19. He says, my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. He uses motherly terminology, 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you have become very dear to us. He uses fatherly terminology. 1 Corinthians 4, 15. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. And then he expands this. It's not just the apostles who have this relationship within God's family. But what he tells Timothy is that we each one have these relationships. 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but appeal to him as a father, and younger men as brothers, and older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. God is greatly excited about his church being a family. Family together, the family of God, but family together as well. And if that is the case, then, then we need to talk about what are the results of being a part of God's family? How does this affect us? What does it mean when we do church as a family? So two results of the church being a family, two outcomes of being a part of this family together. First, there's responsibilities of being in a family. Uh, the bigger the family I've ever met, as they get bigger and bigger, I find more and more that there are more and more chores for the kids. That things can't get accomplished if you don't have the kids working hard around the house as well. We, as part of God's family, have been given chores we get to serve in God's family. We have responsibilities. And our first responsibility is to seek the good of the family. Romans 12 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. It talks about a giving of ourselves to the family. You think of a parent, and I remember this. I remember being a child who's there in the bathroom and vomiting, and my dad all night is sitting there with me, hugging me, rubbing my back, just holding me, dealing with the stench and all that's going on with that. A parent that cares for his kids. We would never hesitate to put down money to care for our kids or to do things that are necessary for our family. 
It, it means the giving of time, the money, the service, the listening, the care. God expects that of each of us toward our family here in the church. As I've been reading this, I, I think I'm understanding even Acts a little differently. We talk about the early church, it's uh, like sort of socialist. I don't think it is. I, I think it's family. Everyone comes together, giving as they have needs to care for each other. That's family. When I hear something's going on, I want to care. I want to give my time. I want to give my effort. I want to give my money. I want to do whatever it takes to care for my family. We have this joy and responsibility to care for our family. Paul models this sacrificial living well. Philippians 2.17, he says, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. I'm being poured out, emptied. I'm rejoicing because I'm doing it for you. 2 Corinthians 11, 27 through 29, I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Having so fond... Oh, sorry, different verse. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Paul, here concerned not just for one church, but for all the churches and the individuals that makes up. This one's going into sin and he cares. This one is weak and tired and one He cares. He's concerned. Giving of himself to reach the nations, to grow the family. We've already read 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because you have become very dear to us. Seeking the good of the family means that you are doing whatever it takes to benefit the family. Like Paul, pouring out your life, giving of yourself to the family. It is an investment and a worthwhile thing. How are you doing at seeking the good of God's family? Are you investing your time, your money, into what God values? Now, let me say a few things here, and I want to say these very gently. Uh, singles, if you are single in our church, I have not even been married for a year yet. I've been single for 28 years. I, I remember the loneliness, uh, the hardship of not feeling like you have a family. I would challenge you, you, you do. If you are single in this church, you do have a family. God has placed you in the position you are currently in to invest your life more deeply into your spiritual family right now. Paul talks about this, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 32 through 35. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. 
but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. This may not be where God has you long term, but while he has you in this state, he has placed you there to invest into your family, your spiritual family. Jesus goes on, Pastor Daniel brought this verse up last week. Some even choose to do this to invest so highly into this family of God. Matthew 19 verse 12, for there are eunuchs who were born that way. Others were made that way by men and still others live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. We have models of this. Our Savior, Jesus, the Apostle Paul. Singleness, you may feel that it is a curse and a hardship and a lonely road to walk. And it may be at times that, but you are not without a family. You are not alone. You have an opportunity to invest deeply into this, your family. Are you making the most of your singleness? On the other side of things, those of us with with marriage or especially if you have kids... uh, we have the other side to worry about here. What we need to consider, whether you are investing too much time into your biological family to the behest of your church family. I'm not saying we abandon our biological families in any way. The key is moderation. We have a neat model of this in our elders. God has given us elders not just to lead and help the church grow and flourish, but he's given us elders to model what does Christ-like living look like. First uh, Timothy 3, 2 through 5 talks about an elder. He says an, an overseer or an elder then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He's to be a standard that we look up to and seek to emulate as we watch our elders. And it says this, He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? See, caring for your biological family and caring for your church family, they are not at odds. And the elders set a picture for us of what this is to look like. That we care for our biological families and nourish and build them up. And we invest deeply into our spiritual family, our church, and nourish and build that up. And we are called toward both to do that well. How do you know if you're not spending enough time serving your spiritual family? This is not just involving having kids, but other things we invest our lives into. How do you know if you're not really being a part of the family, if you're the kid that's not around very much? And that's first, if you can't be here regularly, if you don't enjoy family meetings and family times, if you're not here or not enjoying it, that might be a good sign that you're not spending enough time with the family Hebrews 10, 23-25 states, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, 
and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Part of the family is being with the family, enjoying the family, getting time with the family. Are you? Second, do you not have enough time to commit to serving in your church family? Are you too busy to serve? And I understand there may be seasons in your life where you are busy and it's crazy and you're just trying to survive. But what I'm talking about here is that the tone of your time in the church is it that of involvement or attendance. Are you just someone who comes? Or are you someone who is plugged in and serving and connected and interacting? That's what family is to be. We're siblings. I want to know you. I want you to know me. That happens only with time. Uh, don't miss out on God's purpose. I would say this too. Uh, for your biological family in his church family. If you have kids, uh, just a challenge for you. It, this may mean saying no to some things. I, I get a chance to talk with a lot of parents as the youth minister. And uh, our culture is pushing this continual family busyness. Uh, you're, you're, you're told that your kid needs to get involved in all these things. If you want them to be good at something, you've got to get them involved early. And you've got to have them doing stuff often. And they've got to be at the best this, the best team, the best drama practice, the best music thing. And if you don't do this, they're not going to be good enough to do it in high school. And if they don't do enough things in high school, they're not going to be accepted into the college that you want them into. And their whole life is sort of going to just go down in shambles. Uh, they have nothing left. When we are pushed this, that we need to keep doing all these things with our kids, all these things for them, and, and that they won't have a good life if we don't have tons of things going on for them to do. I would challenge you to think counterculturally, what does your Savior desire of you for your kids? What does the Lord want for your kids? Serving in the church will teach your kids both how to serve and will demonstrate for them a value for the Lord and his kingdom work. I would encourage you to get involved in the church. Bring your kids with you. God, his highest goal is not them going to the best college and getting the best job. His highest goal is that they love him, they delight in him. As they go off to college, do you want them to serve and pursue a church? Model that model a love for the church for them. You're called uh, to serve and be part of the family, to pursue the good of the family. But then we're called to serve to ourselves here in the family of God. God has built, brought, and equipped you into his family to care for the others in it. God has built, brought, and equipped you to care for the others in your family and the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 24 through 27 says, But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor so that, so that to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. 
Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Every joint, each individual part, that's you. That's me. That's us. We are called to serve in the church, to be part of this family. 1 Peter 4.10, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve one another. But what if I don't know what my gift is or how to serve? What do I do then? I would just jump in. Start doing something. Try serving. Ask for feedback. Does this look like I'm doing this okay? Do I need help? Does this seem an area that I'm, I'm growing in, I'm able to do, or, or do I need to go somewhere else? But jump in. Start small. You don't have to start by leading a Bible study and doing things that terrify you. How about you start by just going to our nursery and holding little kids for a while? That's a great service. We need that in our church. But get involved. Serve. The third part, a uh, third responsibility is to commit to the family. Paul says we are members of this body. We are part of it. I would encourage you to become a member of our church. If you are not a member to pursue membership or if you are visiting with us, become a member of your home church. It is valuable. It is important. The beauty of family is you can't bail when things get tough. And they will get tough. You're living with selfish, sinful people. I will hurt you, and you will hurt me. And outside of this covenant community commitment of family, I'll walk away. It's easier than having to deal with the pain. But the beauty of family is I commit to stay. We commit to stay. We work things out. We pursue healing There is hope and there is joy. And in that, there is safety. There is a recognition that we each have shortcomings and failures and sin. And yet there is a willingness for forgiveness and grace. That is the joy of being committed to the family. Which leads us into our second part. Uh, We're called to do as the family. We have the responsibilities, but we have the joys of being in a family as well. We've already talked about the safety and security that we have as part of the family. It's given to us through forgiveness, a recognition of our sinfulness, and yet of God's great grace toward us and toward each other. And the church family is the place for healing, though, too. Healing for your dashed hopes and dreams. The desires you have for family are what it should be. Holes that have been left in your soul due to unmet dreams the death of loved ones, or the deep sin of others toward you. Family is the place of God's intent for you to find the satisfaction and joy that you cannot naturally have on your own in the context that he's placed you. The family that you so desire can be found here in the church. What does this mean? It means that for the Muslim child who gives up their entire family, who is cast out from their family, they still have family. They still have a home. 
They've been kicked out of their biological parents' home and from their siblings, but they still have Christ. Mark 10, 28-30, what Peter asked the Lord Jesus says, I say to you, there is not one who has left house or brother or mother or sister or children or father for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children. That Muslim child, as they convert, convert into family. That God in his grace supplies what they are now lacking physically. For the mom or dad missing being a dad or mom on Father's Day or Mother's Day. That you can become one. Not a biological parent necessarily. Uh, but what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.15, uh, For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. In this church, you have the chance to build into the kids that we have here. Uh, for the person who comes without any real biological family or place to call home, or the one missing their father today on Father's Day. Christ says, stretching out his hands for his disciples, he said, behold my mother and my brothers. You have family here given to you by your God. Uh, for the single or the couple without kids or the, the parents or grandparents whose children have walked away from the faith, there's still hope and purpose for you. The New Testament takes this picture of the Old Testament starts within Genesis 1 of being fruitful and multiplying. And it talks then to Abraham about him being a blessing to all people. And the New Testament builds on this. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Don't just go be fruitful and multiply physically, but go and make disciples of all nations. We have spiritual progeny. That we are able to pursue children in the faith as Paul and John both talk about these members of the church that they have lovingly built into. You still have the chance through the church to fulfill what we just read today. Psalm 145, for one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. You have that chance to speak into the next generation through our church. God has provided that in his great grace toward you and toward me. God has built us to be more than just members of a group. We are called to be this family. As members of God's family, there are responsibilities we get to do and partake of for the benefits, the uplifting of our family as members of God's family, there are also great joys and great hopes and healing for hurts through the family of God. We're going to move into a time of communion here. And as we do so, I would challenge you to think about your part in the family here. Communion is a beautiful picture of a family meal. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 11. That the church comes together as a family to ponder the saving work of Christ to bring us each one into the family. I would encourage you as we do this to take some time to ponder with the Lord. Are you excited about our family? Are you serving in our family? And how can you best delight in his work of redemption for our family?
Let me pray for us. Father, our Father, we thank you for your kindness, for your goodness, for your provision for us. We thank you for your church. Lord, help us to love your body. Help us to love you. And Lord, that as we do so, you would be made much of your kingdom would be expanded. Your name would be lifted high. That you would be exalted for you are worthy of great exaltation. That one generation would praise your name to the next. That all nations would praise your name. Father, work in us. Give us this love for our family, a deep love and deep actions that flow from that. We thank you for Jesus, our brother and our savior. And we pray all this because of him. Amen.